0: My name is Gary Bontrager and I have Heather, my co-host, here with me on Mindset Growth Podcast. We're Morning. excited for today's episode. Uh, there's a couple of things, Heather, that excited me about this. And the thing that kind of caught my attention, and of course we hear a lot about clickbait, but we have somebody here that has authored seven books. This is his most recent book. And the title of the book really caught my attention.
1: How could it not?
0: Right. So. <laughs> That that piece of it was the first peak of interest, and then as I did some research, I realized that this is a person that also has a tremendous amount of experience, and he has been gracious enough to share a lot of that experience with other folks to hopefully help us not have to experience and go through probably all the things he did to learn this, but right. we can start ahead of the game a bit.
1: As I kind of flipped through the book, a lot of the... Terms that you used were very, or that he used is very creative. Right. Too. So,
0: and it was, and yet it seems to be very simple format where it's very user friendly. So, with that, I want to introduce Roy Osing. And I'm going to just hold the book up here for everybody to see here. He has authored seven different books, uh, this being the most recent one. And the title, if you didn't see it, is Be Different or Be Dead. If that hasn't captivated you at this point, I'm not sure that this podcast will. But with that, Roy, thank you for joining us on Mindset Growth Podcast.
2: Hey, my pleasure. I'm I'm grateful to be here.
0: I uh, feel like there's so many questions to ask just with uh, reading this book, and then also clearly the experience that you have, but. To start with, let's get a little background and tell the audience a little bit about how you grew up and what really was the foundation for your early life.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a guy that came from a small town in the province of British Columbia, Canada, and with with no particular exciting uh, childhood, other than a mother who was very, um, very demanding and, and very... Um, Sort of non-acceptable of or acceptance, if you will, of status quo things. And as a recall and reflect upon uh, her, um, she uh, she was simply intolerant of of the th- the way things were. She was one of these women who was driven to kind of like do things differently. She was driven to not accept necessarily what people said as being right, uh, but rather to explore the possibilities around what people what people were saying and what people were doing. And uh, I mean, I never realized this at the time, obviously, but in answer to several questions that I've been getting around my past and, and what influenced you, I concluded it had to be my mom. I got to tell you, yeah. uh, because because she was a driver and and I've been a driver my whole life. I've always wanted to challenge. I've always wanted to be audacious. I've always wanted to step out. I've always wanted to test things. I've always wanted to be a trier and And basically, I carried that sort of motivation and drive into my professional career when I started working uh, and uh, and viewed that we we as an organization, and it was a telecom world at that time, okay? Going through right. this horrible uh, horrific change at the time that I re- recall as going from a monopoly to a competitive environment, I concluded that we weren't being different. We weren't doing things that we had to do to be successful. And so I just started doing outlandish things very, very early on and and gradually um, was recognized as one of these guys that kind of like maybe had some decent leadership skills and maybe we should uh, give him the internet business and see what he could do with it. So, I mean, I was asked to be the president of a of an early stage data company that we and I get goosebumps when I still when I think about this, you guys, it was just an amazing achievement of amazing group of people, the be different or be dead mantra for Roy was something that that like is in my veins, like it's part of my DNA. Uh, And I'm pretty sure I got it from my mom. And um, uh, I hope she approves with what I did with it uh, (laughs) over my 40 years of business experience.
1: So did you recognize growing up that your mother was really ahead of her time?
2: No, she and I just didn't get along at all. I mean, we we're just butting heads constantly. And she, she, you know, because when you're young, what the heck? It's a mom, and they're they're telling you to do things and driving you to do things that you may not necessarily want to do, and you have no idea what the future is going to be from that sort of behavior. Um, but uh, so so we butted heads, which, which basically told me that I was so much like her. And it's true. I mean, the kind of things that, that she would do, the kind of things that she would say Um, yeah, I mean, I do things that today that I'm absolutely positive or imprinted from the way she brought me up. The one thing she said to me is you are going to get an education and don't start to tell me about taking a year off. Okay. I understand at high school, maybe, you know, you take a A gap year, call it a gap year. Forget She never used it. Mm -hmm. Roy, forget it. You're not gapping anything. You're (laughs) going to school. You're getting an education. You're going to get a good job and you are going to make some money. That's it we're not going to have any more conversations. So, <laughs> so I did.
0: <laughs> were you an only child?
2: Yeah. Okay. I've been asked that question before. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, that's that's true. I mean, like I was her focus. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't have an opportunity to dissipate energy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like, boom, right, <laughs> right on me. And uh, yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it.
1: Awesome. We like to ask people a lot of times because we see patterns in successful people like yourself. But do you have a morning routine?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, I'm up at five o'clock. Uh, I think it's a function of chronological impairment, quite frankly, because <laughs> I'm getting older and I can't sleep as much. And so, yeah, one one person in, in my life who worked for me as a vice president of sales said, Roy, you're not getting old. You're just chronologically impaired. And I thought, OK, that's a nice way of saying that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm up at 5. I write. We talked about writing uh, off air. But I write as soon as I get up. I write on my mobile device always. And so I'm sitting with a cup of coffee in our living room with my iPad, and I write. And that's, that's it. So I'm constantly uh, on the move. I constantly am thinking about things, and it starts very early in the morning, and it just goes from there.
1: When we were looking you up, I did notice you have a lot of blogs out there, and maybe we can get into that later, but I mean, pages, pages. So kudos to you for that.
0: I I have one question with your writing, because it's it's something I've started to do some years back. And when you say you write, are you typing or are you handwriting a lot of this
2: yet? Oh, no, it's all typing on my iPad. Okay. I mean, it's just like I've got used to it. It's right. it's my keyboard that's and my, and my iPhone. Right. Listen, I can be in the middle of a store where my wife is browsing around and I'd rather disassociate myself from that activity. <laughs> and what, so what I do, I just take out my iPhone and I just pick up on a blog and I can I can get into the rhythm uh real easy, right? Real easy. And so I do it and that's just that's just the way it is my kids bought me one of those separate keyboards once right i can't yeah it doesn't work for me like just give me my ipad my <laughs> iphone and i'll i'll do this sure. and i'm fine i mean i can i'm very prolific when it comes to uh, to actually you know the volume of material because it just streams like i've got this i know my stuff thank you for the comment on my blogs i've been blogging since 2009 when i wrote my first book be Different or Be Dead, Your Business Survival Guide. And I just have this stream of consciousness that comes on a subject because uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's part of me and it just, it just comes out. So I just stream it, go back, check it over, add some links, boom, done. It doesn't take me very long.
0: It's a tremendous gift that you're giving your kids and grandkids as well and even future generations because, you know, so often you get together with family and somebody will remember something a parent and aunt and uncle said, but when you can put it down in story form, it really gives an insight of heritage and things like this, and I think it's very valuable. Uh, I personally write a lot with a pen and a paper yet, but a lot of that is with how I think. I learned I can focus better on that, but it slows me down, so. Trying to figure out how to shift some of that effectively, but
2: yeah, no. What works for me is the pen and pencil work well in terms of of grabbing like sound bites. If I don't have time, okay, so I'll, I'll use it to get four or five points, and then I'll just fill in around the points. And one of the things that that I learned really early, and it was not about it was not around the function of writing; it was the function of public speaking. And a coach told me once, he says, "Look, look at, this is really easy. All you need to do." is write yourself a couple of questions. And so your whole speech is going to be simply answering the questions. Mm-hmm. Like like for example, a question could be, Roy, what's your background? So I get up and and you don't have to ask ask me the question. I just look at my note. There's the question. And I just say, hey, let me just tell you a little bit about my background. Boom. And I answer the question, then go at, on and answer another question. Typically, I'll have questions just down on a small piece of paper. And that's that's my speech. That's that's my whole presentation or performance, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. No such thing as a presentation. I mean, this, this, I mean, talking to people is about a performance. What you want to do is light them up, get them feeling passionate about you, having a great experience, no, and as, at the same time learning something, which is something they don't teach at school, by the way. They don't teach right. you that a speech is a performance, and you're there to dazzle every member of the audience. And you better do that, otherwise they won't remember you And probably won't learn anything from you either oops i digress
1: i i saw something uh recently that your your vibe your energy that you bring is your introduction of yourself and you're right i'm not sure that that can be taught
2: no i'm just saying look at it, it it gets back i mean if you don't have this this stuff running through you then it's hard it's it's almost like can you teach people to love homo sapiens Okay, the answer to the question is no, you cannot. Okay, they need to be this inherent desire to serve others. They need to walk around with this character, okay, that that they apply in business or in their career uh, as it relates to people around them. And so you need to spot them and recruit them and then cuddle them and care for them and nourish them throughout the career and just turn them loose on your customers because they're going to blow them away and loyalty goes through the roof and it was mm-hmm. one of the things that i did the point is those people have the carrying gene running through them i have a di- different gene well I, ha- I think i have that too but not as strong as some people but this whole energy thing okay part of who i, I cannot disassociate from that that's just who i am and look at it, it gets me into trouble okay because i overwhelm sometimes Okay my wife has always telling me pull it back pull it back <laughs> what <laughs> I can't pull it back <laughs> but but she's right right so but it starts out with the the e factor the energy factor the emotion factor the passion factor the hypersensitivity factor it's just part of who you are and and the challenge is to channel it in a way that's productive you and know that's kind of like been my journey
0: And so much of that you're talking about when you're public speaking. And the fact is most people don't even really remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel is really what I try to focus on. And the nice thing with the approach you've taken, because we do a lot of uh, coaching one-on-one and in group settings. And one of the things that come up is people want to improve how they speak in public. And a lot of it is that connection piece, but I just want to, Go back to this. Something you shared was the fact that you talk about asking yourself questions. What that's going to do is require you to share stories, either about yourself or things you've experienced. And by doing that, it breaks it down and it builds that connection with with the audience and the person that's speaking. And I just want to kind of focus on that for anybody listening here. There's times you'll hear somebody get up. And they're, you know, PhD and what have you, and they'll spew out so much information. By the time you're done, your mind's blowing and you don't remember any of it. And it's it's not relatable. And so I just challenge folks. I really want to pick up on that because that's a tremendous idea. And I know for myself, I try to have stories with points in them driven into it. So uh, that's great advice.
2: Well, look, at I mean, to me, it's really simple. Um, people will tell me you know, that, that, they're, that they like my communication skills as a public speaker. And I use the term, but the reality is I'm not one of those people. It, what I am is, is a guy that had the fortune and the opportunity to build a business to a billion in sales and learn a lot along the way. Mm-hmm. Part of that okay, ends up being expressed when you talk to people. Okay, and it's the content. If you don't know your stuff, you will never be good at any kind of communications at all. Okay, you're worried about the pedantics of presenting, right? And the details, the micro details, it's almost like playing tennis, the micro details, okay, of speaking. If you get engrossed in that, you forget about what you're there for. Right. You're there in the heads of everybody in the audience there to let, leave the feeling that there's what I've suggested. And so if I can't excite them, right, in a, in a way that, that they care about, then I've failed miserably. But the thing is, we get caught up in, in the micro um, requirements, okay, and the, the, the sort of physical requirements of performing a task and lose sight of the, of the fact that, that the broader perspective is to make a difference in somebody's life. And if you have that, you, in fact, will not be a public speaker, but you will be one hell of a communicator and you will change lives. And that's what we're here to do as right. leaders. We're here to change lives.
0: And, and frankly, I want to tag onto that a little bit. Your position was in communications and technology, but it doesn't matter if you're doing construction, what you're doing if you're changing lives, that's what the focus is. Whenever people become focused on money or other things or the small details, and they start to micro-focus on those, that's when I start to see problems. I I mean, we deal with that quite Mm -hmm. a bit. What's your thoughts on that?
2: I I think we're far too focused on the minutia, okay? And that, in, in my humble opinion, in my experience, is based on the fact that we've been taught through textbooks to be that way. We've been taught to, to conform to, to rules. We've been taught to conform to formula. Okay, that's in the textbook. What we haven't been taught to do is the stuff that you and I are talking about that's in my book that talk about the real stuff, the how-to stuff that lights fires in people because you won't find that in any standard textbook. Like, I don't have a PhD. I have an MBA, a Master of Business Achievement. That's what I have. So my whole, whole life, and on the right side of my brain, looking for opportunities to light fires in people to do what? Mm-hmm. Enhance their performance. To do what? Drive the performance of the business. So that's context has taught me that there's certain things that we must do as leaders. Like we need to clean the inside. We need to hire for goosebumps. We need to cut the crap. Yes, we have to strategically micromanage. That sort of mindset does not come from learning uh, the traditional way of leadership and yet it's so critical and nobody's doing it i look at i talk to young people about leadership all all to the time and still they're struggling to get a meaningful career etc and i know why it's because follow the textbook mm-hmm. and they're they're shut down in terms of the the ability to broaden their perspective and do some simple things you you call my book a how to book it is it's not about a blue ocean right it's about clear simple proven things that have worked in 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 business that is full of racism full of biasness full of all that stuff all that messy stuff that people don't like to talk about reality is as a leader you better talk about it right because it's going to prevent your performance and don't get you know don't make any mistake roy is a performance guy right i'm not doing any of this stuff because it's cool I'm right. doing drives, top line performance. And that's what I was paid to do. Right,
1: That's a, amazing that you bring that up, Roy, because we are living in a world right now where we are walking around on eggshells, trying not to offend people, but those are the exact things that need to be addressed in order to be successful.
2: Well, let me, let me give you a, a, a spin on this, that, that, uh, that I do in it. Cause first of all, don't get me wrong. One has to be sensitive with all the narratives. Mm-hmm. I might argue that there's too many narratives. But <laughs> having said that, you know, one has to to have to uh, have to respect them, okay? But but here's the deal: be different or be dead. Somebody's off. Somebody said to me recently, "Be different or be dead." He, you know, they they said, correct use of pronouns. They said, um, "I'm different because I've got red hair," and I said. No, you're not different. You're just like everybody else that's narcissist. Okay, (laughs) Being different is all about standing out in a way that people care about. Let me say that again. Being different is to be unique in the way somebody else cares about. So it's not about you. It's about other people, right? And so we have a conversation and say, look, I really don't care about the color of your hair. I don't care about your pronouns. I don't care about your sexual orientation. I don't care about the color of your skin. I don't care about it. What I care about is what you're choosing to do, what behaviors you're choosing to exhibit, okay, to do something that people around you care about. That's what I care. That's what I am concerned about. Mm. And so I try and position those those real-life factors that are inundating people today. It's raining down narratives, guys. Right. It's preventing people from moving, to your point. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, my goodness, put it over there. Let's not talk about it. It'll go away. Well, it will not go away. Right. If I've experienced anything in 40 years doing what I'm doing, it's you need to address that stuff, but you Mm -hmm. need to address it in a strategic way. It's not about your attitudes as a leader. It's about how you're going to harness that energy. All right. And create a high performing individual given the reality. That's the challenge.
0: Right. Step up and provide that. Uh, that framework and for for somebody to find their success to reach their maximum potential so often I think we I see often people come in and they just get caught in I want you to do x and they kind of have average numbers and all that's okay and we're not rocking the boat anywhere because when you do those things I promise you and we'll talk about it later you've also experienced some things that probably didn't work And so often people play it safe and it's that balance that they run into. But we're going to get back to some of that. We're going to go through a couple more rapid fire questions. We call it just, I would say, usually to get people warmed up. Uh, Just this last little sound bite you gave us, though, I wanted to stand up and do a fist pump. So we don't really need to fire anyone up anymore. (laughs) However, I'm going to ask you, what is the best advice you were ever
2: given? Uh, to, to, To be different. Cannot accept what's going on around you. To cut through it like a knife. Mm -hmm. Be be humble. Be respectful. Okay, be courteous. But just get on and do it. Be different. And look, I want to talk to you guys about differentiation in this world because it's horribly being done right now. Mm -hmm. There are people and organizations walking around claiming to be different and have a competitive advantage and differential advantage, and it's hogwash it's a huge problem in business today and unfortunately it's percolating down in terms of how people view their careers and how people view, view their lives okay so you got to be different you got to have you got you just got to have the, the 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 willingness right and risk taking ability to do it in fact i would argue that not being different right is less than being the same you conform you're at higher risk than somebody that stands out Okay. You're part of the herd. Nobody notices you. You're the same. You have, you have basically the, a similar DNA strand that everybody else in the world has. How exciting is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like watching paint dry for God's sake. I mean, what we need is we need people to step out and lead us, give us energy, right? To create something new, not gargle Google. That's another <laughs> one of my favorite conversations to have, by the way, somebody's confronted with a problem. What do they do? They go to Google, so I've, co- I've coined this phrase: "Gargle Google." It's one of the one of the things that stands in the way of creativity. It's called imitation by gargling Google. We got too many Google garglers out there. <laughs> Try and say that fast: Google gargle. It's a tongue twister. But it's true. Okay, you need to get rid of that. That's a sound bite for you.
1: We got it. That's a great one. <laughs> Let's ask you another one here.
2: But it's true.
1: Yes. What was your worst job?
2: Um, I, my my worst job was 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 a job that I had in at in those that was call it an IT department that was because I had a I had a, I, I graduated with a math science degree nothing today but I ended up in an IT we call it data processing department in those days call it IT today and and it was a very structured job okay, uh, you probably could, could see where I'm going with this. It was so tight. It, it had literally no degrees of freedom because mm-hmm. the profession at that time, you know, was really, really managed tightly according to specifications. And I didn't like that. I mean, I had a heck of a time. I, I understood that because I was doing some programming. I, I understood that there were some protocols and so forth that I had, to, I had to comply. Otherwise, the machine wouldn't read the blah, blah, and it wouldn't work. Okay, but outside of that, there were some opportunities to kind of like do some things different to make it more efficient and effective in terms of writing programs. And I wasn't allowed to do that because it was so tightly defined. I didn't like that. It didn't take me very long to move into a marketing job where I started to be able to express myself. Separately,
0: I'm Gage. And I'm Bontrager. Together, we We are Gage Bontrager 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 Consulting. We work on changing your mindset developing leaders building systems and processes helping you grow personally and professionally to achieve the success that you want personally and professionally however you choose to define success for you reach out to us and follow us on social media or look us up on the website and that will put you on a path to achieve what is missing in your life? Thanks for watching this episode of Mindset Growth Podcast.
1: It does sound very boring for creative types like yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Another one we have for you, and you might have covered this a little bit in, in a roundabout way, but what are you tired of hearing about?
2: <laughs> oh man, I'm 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 tired. I'm tired of of hearing narratives. Okay. I just mm-hmm. am okay, that, that talk about, it's like the topic of the day, that in my world, it doesn't yield any value other than feeding narcissism. Like, again, the world is so inward focused. It's so about me, right? It's so about me, and it's not about you. It's about, it's about who I am. It's about the rights I have. And I'm not saying that that's not important. It, it, it is, Okay, but it's all consuming today, mm-hmm. and so in, from a business point of view, you know, I I look at, at at the level of of customer service that goes on today. I look at at how efficient and how effective marketing is today, and there's so much room to improve, and yet we don't spend a lot of time talking about that because it doesn't it it's not part of a broader narrative, and it's not seen. Okay, what's sexy is all the narratives that, that, that we get inundated with on a day-to-day basis. Okay, and I'm not gonna elucidate on them, but we all know what they are. And the problem I have with that is it takes people's attention away from a fundamental fact that says, look, we're here to serve other people. Because at the end of the day, that's the formula that translates into performance and economic um, uh, results and a, and, a, and a positively functioning society. I mean, can you imagine if all the energy, spent to take care of ourselves and satisfy ourselves in terms of all of these idiot things that are, are being talked about. If we took that energy, right? And applied it in a sense of creating value for others, right? And creating <laughs> transactions economically that yielded high performance organization. Can you imagine the world we'd be in it would be amazing. It'd be incredible. And so I think about a distribution curve, you know, and the, a, a normal, yeah, a normal just dif- dis- distribution curve, where most of the people are sitting in the. That's a bell curve, right? Where most of the people are sitting in the middle. Ninety-eight percent of the people in the world are sitting in the middle. The outliers at the tails of the distribution curve are on the one hand. The contrarian entrepreneurs that, that want to push the boundaries, that want to stand out. On the other end, they're people that don't care about anything. But the glut is in the middle. When I wake up at night thinking about and imagining what would happen if we could shift in year one and maybe two points in year two and maybe two points, can you imagine the energy and the power that that would unleash in the world in terms of benefits? It would, it's unimaginable, but No. What we do is we get trapped, crappy conversations, right, that may mean something to some one person, and we're not able to harness that in a way that yields a broader good. That really upsets me, as you could probably tell. Mm-hmm. I get so much angst, and the problem I have is I run head into you know, head on into conversations about this, and unfortunately, Roy comes out. Well,
0: one thing <laughs> that's very interesting and that I'm summarizing out of what you're saying, and you've got you know, far more experience than what I have, but I grew up in a family with eight kids. And it was one of those things we learned to share because, you know, I wore secondhand clothes and hand-me-downs and all those things. But the bottom line is we learned to work together. It was, you know, a farm family in the Midwest, uh, the United States, and it was, eighties uh, were a tough time financially. So everybody had to pitch in. The one thing that I take away from that experience, and I th- I, I would love to hear your perspective because you you know grew up in a different country, you grew up than I did. You grew up in as an only child, and yet you have a lot of the same perspectives. That I one thing I really see as a huge problem is the fact we all have been so inward focused that if we hold a door for someone and they don't think us. It upsets people. And it's like, who did you hold the door for? It wasn't for, clearly it was to serve yourself if you needed a thank you in order to hold that door. And with that attitude, that's what you're talking about. In my mind, I see when you talk about that glut that's just serving themselves. And if we can continually across the world or around the world shift that, I believe that'd be a huge impact.
2: It it would, and interesting. Um, thank you for sharing that you have a large family. My mother was one of twelve, hmm. and so it's obvious to me. So I'm an only child, but she came from from a from an army of twelve. She learned how to survive, right. mm-hmm. and it's absolutely, I believe, the case that when she had me. In fact, I can remember her telling me this. She says, "Roy, you will never ever put up with the things that I had to put up with the with being." One of twelve children, where you had to sit down at a table and fight for food, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it was, you know, you could tell that. And at a young age, I could tell it was very discomforting for her to have, right. have that, have that kind of a of an experience. But, but I'm pretty sure that's why she is so intense, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but look, it it's it's a matter of harnessing. It's a matter of harnessing what what's driving people okay, and, and A that's gonna yield something productive as opposed to stopping, okay, at what's inside them. I mean, that's the point, and yet right. we seem to stop at what's inside them, okay? And the education system, by the way, guys, is not helping. No. no. Okay, we've been taught, as I said earlier, we've been taught to conform. We've been taught to comply. We're cogs in a wheel. You get an A, right, if you can apply the formula, right? Well, look it, I've got a degree in mathematics. I've never solved a business problem with a differential equation, okay? So what all that education did for me is teach me how to solve problems. And then it stopped. It stopped because I had to learn other things in the real world, okay, that were needed in terms of, of, of growing businesses, et cetera. And if I had a stopped, nothing would have happened. And I keep telling young professionals, guys, I'm happy that you have, the kind of academic credentials that you have. Good for you, but don't you ever think that what got you here is gonna get you where you need to get to. You need to now take on and learn other stuff. You need another degree and it's called an MBA, master's in business achievement. And let me help you understand what the sort of things are that that I found very helpful in in growing a business and and high performing people, uh, because it is not what you've learned. It is not what you learn. I I, I laugh at people try to draw demand curves.
0: Well, no, the interesting thing, though, with all of that is when you're looking at all those math equations and formulas and everything you're taught in school, the piece that's never quite the same when you get out into the world is the human element. And anytime we're selling a product, manufacturing any of that, it comes back to how that serves and relates to the human product. And that's, that's the piece where connection and relationships are absolutely paramount. And that's where your energy that you carry and how you motivate people made the difference for you in your career, uh, without a doubt. I'll let you take the next one, Heather.
1: We have one more rapid fire to help us get to know Roy a little better. And then we'll get into the meat. Not that we haven't already gotten into the meat because I think that the advice that you have given already on sales has been worth listening to this whole thing for. I mean, it's been amazing. So thank you for that. But what is your favorite way to relax?
2: I um, I love to go on vacations. I love okay. to be at a pool, um, in Maui. Uh, and fortunately, I can I can go there. We have a place there. Nice. I love ha- hanging out on the around the pool. Uh, my uh-huh. wife's trying to get me interested in the beach. The problem with the beach is it's got sand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a sand person, so i I love, I love hanging out at the pool. Um, and and again, I'm writing all the time, so for me that's relaxation. And if I had a, have a bloody mary at eleven a.m. around the mm-hmm. pool, um, I'm relaxed, and it sort of sets my mood for the day. Um, I like to kind of ease in into it that way, and and um, hot weather for me now I find exhilarating. So last year we actually spent six weeks in Palm, which I looks like excruciating, right? It's like one hundred and five degrees, and people thought we were crazy because we went down in September. But for me, it's like walking into a dry sauna,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? And it' just like exhilarates me because I can have a beer if I want, mm-hmm. et cetera. And yeah, that's my idea of a good day. Let me ask you
0: this, and I'm going to piggyback off of your favorite way to relax. As a high performing CEO, building a billion dollar company, how important is the balance in work, in family, or personal life? Like to have that balance, because that is something, and I'm I'm sure you see this. You have these, you know, young, aggressive professionals that. You know they they would just work eighty to one hundred hours a week, and there's times that happens i've I've been there, but what's what's the importance of that balance for for success long term?
2: Yeah, I'm probably going to give you an answer that you're not expecting. Uh, the real good thing is I'm married to an absolutely amazing person that we started hanging out with in high school. She knows me. she knows she knows who I am. She knows she knew what was going to drive me. So so the fact is, uh, I've struggled with balance and I've actually concluded that it doesn't exist. Okay, if if I look at what I was able to do, um, if I had work balance as kind of a filter, it wouldn't have happened. It just wouldn't have happened because I've had to do so much. I've had to do so much in terms of, 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 you know, hours of the day and days of the week, um, that I, if I were not that committed, uh, I don't know that I would have been able to achieve what I've been able to achieve. Having said that, okay, my strategy, um, and I've never, thank you for the question, because I've never thought about this way before. My strategy, I guess, was to pick and choose um, sort of large consumers of time and, and not do them. And maybe that comes within balancing. Let me give you an example. Um, I've actually concluded that not being an avid golfer, hanging around a golf all right, with other executives and, and, and organizational leaders, because I refused to do it on the weekends because I wanted to spend time with, with my family. Um, so that was a conscious decision. So I decided not to golf. Okay, I could golf, but I didn't want to you know golf, go off and spend the, the weekend golfing. Um, and I, I actually think that that cost me. Because I would leave to somebody that wasn't involved in that kind of activity with my colleagues, right? And I actually had, because we had 360s, et cetera, in the day, and I've actually had that as feedback, right? Finance, you know, VP said, well, Roy doesn't really want to get involved in group activities like golf. Well, that was done consciously, right? So I guess that was an example of how I tried to balance by picking events. What I had to do is, is try to do some accommodation, right? But I'd have to make it up in other ways, like it's a zero sum game. I mean, after a while you're either in it or you're not in it, right? And I'm not particularly interested that you have a, you know, a, a dentist appointment at one and you feel like you can take the rest of the afternoon off. I'm not really interested in that. And yet though, a lot of people do that because in the name of balancing their life, they think they're entitled to it. Balance in a way can lead to entitlement has been my observation. Mm-hmm. And there's far too much of that going on right now. There's a lot of entitlement at the expense of performance, okay, in, in the word of, of work-life balance. And I think that's a hard thing uh, for, for a leader like me to actually be caught in. And I'm not doing that now, right? In fact, I try to avoid stuff like that. I'll, I'll start out by saying I, I've struggled with it. I don't think I ever solved it. And I'm not sure that it's, it's a rational thing to do other than the way that worked for me, which is to pick and choose if you can't. Okay, but um, yeah, well, the behavior is noticed and you're either in or you're not.
0: You know, though, one thing that and I don't think you mentioned it on this show, but you've been married for 58 years. You've, you know, children and grandchildren. Clearly, you have, though, managed your personal life well to have your wife stay with you when you were a young professional, very (laughs) focused on building a career. And I guess that's where where I see that question being important because there's people out there, though, trying to figure that out. And and I hopefully this will help them just to hear how you would pick and choose and make family a priority. Uh, but that's kind of where that come from. And I don't know if you want to respond to that once I clarify that a little bit.
2: I totally get the question. And I, I struggle with answering it in, in a way because I've, I've seen myself as somebody that's had this kind of balanced hormonal right that has a meaningful role for both you know drive to perform and family um when you ask the question i can think of all sorts of things i did as a father and and i'm doing as a grandfather and i guess that's falls within there but down okay deep down balance was never ever okay a priority for me it wasn't something that caused me to behave so i don't know what it was to pick and choose and not choose golf to go camping, right, to go skiing, because we we did all of that as a family, right, but at the end, but I was always thinking, I was always thinking, okay, about the challenge that I was in the middle, hell, I, yeah, I mean, I'd be skiing down Whistler, and I'm thinking of a problem at work, and I get the solution, have a beer, get down, it never shut off, is I guess my point, so I channeled the sort of, you know, sort of like, in, in my world, time division multiplexing is a is a process where you take chunks, right? And you interleave them into in what I did is I took the time, right? And did something with it and I put it back another way, maybe I, that could be a, a metaphor for what it was, but work-life balance, I don't know. It never was a priority for me, but I guess I did some of it.
1: Well, and I don't think that that is a betrayal of time to your family either, if while you are spending your time, with your family, that you come up with solutions because there's so often that you have to step away from the problem, focus on something else for it to become clear to you.
0: I think that's something we also uh, find is people, if they're really focused on, it becomes every fabric of what you are when you're really focused on what it is you're involved in. And it's just, I like to ask that question because different, what people handle those things differently. But back to some of the entitlement and things that we talked about earlier, the part that concerns me is that relationships fall apart sometimes. And the excuse is he was too focused or she was too focused on what, what her occupation and what she was doing. Is that just a way out? Or is it a fact that you and your wife, when you got married, and clearly you guys were high school sweethearts, you say, the commitment was there, there was, there was no plan B. Because when there's no plan B, often we find a higher level of success.
2: Yeah, I don't, we never had, the only plan we had, as I recall, um, was that we were gonna have, um, we were gonna have our family done by the time I was 25. And that was the thing. And the reason behind that is we wanted to get it done so that when they were eventually became independent, which yeah, I could talk to you a while about that because my my view is they never they're never independent, they just get more expensive the older they get. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I digress. But so that was a plan. We were gonna get it, <laughs> we were gonna get it done independent. We never had a conversation about um a real conversation about uh, careers, et cetera, et cetera, because I didn't know where I was, I was going, to be honest. I mean, I, I just, I, I kind of, I call it strategically meandered around and up, learning and executing, learning and executing. That, that was what I did, but I did it relentlessly, okay? And I happened to be married to somebody that can, again, she, she knew who I was because at high school and playing sports and that, I wasn't any different. All right, I wanted to win. I wanted to win and it was no question. And so she got that and, um, but she was a, ter- she's a terrific moderating kind of influence on me. Like all she's got to do is look at me and I get it, right? <laughs> so she would pulse in and pulse out, pulse in. So here's a stream going north, right? Or east or west and it's running, this train is going. And all she's got to do is kind of look at the, at the engineer a certain way and the engineer goes oop <laughs> 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 Oops.
0: slow this right, one so down
2: come up yeah. with you know how how i'm going to change that but not everybody has that that kind of a, a relationship and i think though the what i've learned is to pay more attention to that i had to mm-hmm. right because it was so valuable right. and it it was a major contributor she her view is she says look at you're the president of the company i'm the ceo of what's going on in this house. Mm-hmm. Do we have our roles clear? And it was, you know, that's basically the way we divided things up. So having board meetings was kind of inter- interesting you know, from that perspective.
0: But that, that's but, a good uh, point because yeah. relationships are important, no matter if you're at home or where you're at because they they affect your, your relationship at home is gonna affect your performance at work. That's, I mean, that's just a given, it's an obvious, uh, thing that happens, if there's a challenge I would lay out for people, and it's more a statement than a question, is I think so often you end up with a person like yourself, and it can be man or woman that's uh, very because I have friends where their wife was the driver, and he was more or less take care of the kids and the domestic engineer. But there also has to be a clear understanding of those roles. And I feel like off too often, if there's any advice I'd give anyone on this, and some of my own experience plays into this, don't be too timid in that role, whoever the other person is on the other side of that equation. Because somebody like Roy or myself can be very dominant. And we are too oblivious sometimes to how that affects others around us And to have that person, that strong person that's standing back going, hey, let's take a look at this or you need to think about this is really beneficial. And I just share that from a relationship point because relationships are important to all of us. And I just think it's important that, you know, when you sit back and just let the train run down the track, I mean, at some point it was going to cause you some grief if you didn't have that that uh relationship with your wife that was going to help keep you balanced and guided so i don't know if you want to respond to that or if that makes sense to you as well
2: well it does it it does make sense and it reminds me that there was another agreement we had yeah because you mentioned roles the other agreement was she was going to take care of things while i'm out doing my thing so that's what led to the c in every dynamic in it and so you know, it was it was clear, and so she wasn't saying just, you know, unleash, go do your thing, but that's your role, and I'm going to take on this. And I've often said to her, you know, if we never had that understanding, I never could have done what I did, ever. Right. It was with that understanding and, and, and you know, and the opinions. So she, of course, would have opinions on what was going on in my world, and I would try to have an opinion <laughs> what was going on in her world. And uh, and so yeah, that's that's the way that we sort of related as we went through time, but but the relationship piece uh, in, in another in another world here is around uh, around leadership, and and I think that um, for me um, the the leadership driver here was to serve. Like I I coined this leadership by surround. Uh, notion, and it really kind of is like the next step of Tom Peters managing by wandering around when he introduced that a long time ago in in, in search of excellence, and and so the way I practice leadership was really being out and about serving people. Okay, not simply observing what was going on, but asking them how can I help? How can I help? And I remember when I started that, people were shocked because I'd be in the middle of a customer service. Uh, organization asking serve reps, how's it going? How can I help, right? And it got known after a time that I was the, what can kind I of help dude? The challenge was to make sure that I could answer and then help them and actually deliver into right. that because the worst thing to do is ask, they give you a, an answer and not be able to deliver. So, so, So the serving piece of it for me was a critical part of building relationships with everybody in my organization. And it was critical. To, to actually enhancing performance. And it was, it was all the classic stuff, right? Which is, you know, tell me what's going on, blah, blah, blah. How can I help? In fact, I came up with this notion called bear pit sessions. I'd have a bear pit session okay. that involved operations people. I'd get 20 of them in a room and I'd be there with no entourage, right? Saying, <laughs> okay, what's working in terms of executing the strategy of the business? What's not working? How can I help? And, I, and people were lining up. I mean, hell, I had a registration queue of people in the organization that wanted to be part of Roy's bear pit session, and the only reason for that, a, it was fun because it was a bit of performance, and b, I actually was able to deliver, you know, in, solutions into the problems that they came up with. So that relationship piece that you're talking about, Gary, is so critical in business, and unfortunately, um, I think it's missing to a large degree. Right.
1: What when you were talking about uh leadership roles and and what was going through my mind was really being open to the ideas of others, which brought me to your your bear pit sessions, which I read a bit about, so I was glad you brought that up but um, how hard is it for some of those those leaders to take the criticism and really work- work with it?
2: well, you know its it starts so sort of at a higher level. Okay. Like uh, effective leaders, um, don't exist on a micro level. Like there's too much conversation going on about, you know, what specific, uh, behavioral patterns should leaders have to conform to somebody's definition of a great leader. There's too much of that. Okay. There's less conversation going on about what's the purpose, first of all, of a leader. Okay, and in my view, leaders exist for only one person, only one reason, and that's to drive the performance of the organization. Okay, their obligation, okay, is to get to a billion. It's within that context that you now get the right to talk about what does that mean on a more micro level. So for me, it was all about um, lighting fires in people, all right, to increase performance that would drive the top line revenue, because that's what we were, we were after. And so the mechanism that I used was leadership by serving around, bare pit sessions, cleansing the internal environment, getting rid of things inside the organization that actually was creating friction. And so what the leader does is not driven by the theory of leadership. It's driven by the practicality of performance. This is another sound bite for you. (laughs) That's it, okay? And if you're being driven by, by leadership principles, You're looking for the wrong thing, because all that will do is satisfy the left side of your brain, and it at best will be an intellectual orgasm. Bet you nobody said that to you before. (laughs) You need to deal with what is moving people, okay, to do their jobs in a way they want to do. People talk about conflict skills, right? And being a visionary, audacious leaders are not visionaries. Because nobody has the ability to predict what's going to happen in this world. How could you ever have the audacity and narcissistic view to say that you are a visionary leader? Now, there's been a few lucky breaks, right? Like Steve Jobs, et cetera. But for the rest of us mere mortals, we are not visionaries. We're hardworking guys trying to advance performance in an organization. That's what our job is, and that's what we're going to do. So that whole conversation guys doesn't exist the way it should exist well
0: there's so much that you've hit on there and i love the whole theory behind the visionary piece of it because i feel like there's programs and people out there pushing that narrative and really what they're doing is just figuring out who the first person in charge is who the person is next right in behind them and so it's it's just the way they're coining how they're trying to, I guess, implement the processes and procedures. But having said that, Heather, we're gonna wrap up the first session here. What are some of your quick takeaways?
1: First of all, I really, truly appreciate your colorful vocabulary. I love that, Um, it grabs people's attention. (laughs) Second, you have just touched on some things that are not being talked about. And um, I think that is such an important piece of everyday life, but also business and sales. So those are my.
0: Right. One of the things that come uh, that are very apparent to me as we go through this first hour here is the fact that uh, Roy is totally right brain thinks outside of the box. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the things he said as he's talking, authors are coming into my mind that he's really destroying what their whole mantra of everything they've built their careers around. And a lot of that really comes back to the fact they're trying to create maybe a system and a process that if you check off, you know, step one, two, three, four, and five, you're going to have a person that fits into that mold and it'll help elevate your organization but I think we've also talked about the fact the human element is different mm-hmm. and I think we as humans are very resourceful and if we are allowed to have the environment of creativity we can solve a tremendous amount of problems and achieve absolutely wonderful things so that's some of my quick takeaways and uh, it's been an awesome session here with Roy so with that fast With that, I just want to thank all of you for listening. Now, here's what we're going to do, because I know that this was probably an impactful uh, podcast for you. We're coming right back with uh, another episode, and we're going to dive into the book, Be Different or Be Dead, The Audacious, Unheard of Ways I Took a Startup to a Billion in Sales by Roy Osing.